Philippians 2, as Brother Jeff reads from that scripture. Scripture reading this morning is going to be Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. We're glad for you to be here this morning, and if you are visiting with us, we want to extend a special welcome, as Carrie has already done. We hope that you'll stay around for a few moments after our worship is over, that we can get a chance to get to know you. As Roy prayed just a little while ago, this is our Vacation Bible School week, and we are super excited about what the week is going to hold for us. That actually begins this afternoon uh, with a... um, lunch together and decoration. If you'd like to join us, you're, far, you're welcome to. Uh, go bring your own lunch and uh, come on into the fellowship hall and we'll be glad to sit down and do that. And then um, as the old sage said, many hands make light work. So if we want to go home early this afternoon, we need to get, there's a number of things we need to get accomplished this afternoon as well as this evening after our worship service is over and hope that you'll be a part of that. Folks, I, Vacation Bible School is fun for a number of reasons for me, um, not the least of which is that you get to see the creativity of people uh, that really comes out at this time of year. There has been a number of neat, neat things that have been done uh, for the purpose of teaching our children more about the Word of God, more about uh, his, Him and His nature and our relationship to Him. I hope that you realize that this is an evangelistic outreach. Okay, it's one thing to have our children here for Vacation Bible School, and I hope that you'll, you'll plan to do that. That's from 9 to noon. But I hope that you'll realize that this is also for the neighbors and for their children and for uh, the grandchildren and for people that maybe haven't darkened the doorway of the church building in years. We're trying to encourage people so that through their children coming and seeing and learning that we can have an opportunity to help teach the parents so that we can introduce them to Jesus. You have a part to play in the success of our Vacation Bible School. You have a part to play in announcing this and in pushing this and in making a personal invitation. Listen, it's one thing to put out a blanket, please come, on Facebook or on social media. It's another to go next door with a flyer or go next door and say, listen, I'm going to be going to this thing in the morning. I'm going to leave about 8.30. I would love for your kids to come with me. Y'all know me. Um, I'm your neighbor. I've been, hopefully you have a good reputation with your neighbors and a good, uh, good relationship with them. But we're going to go and we're going to do this for a couple of hours this morning, uh, all week, uh, up until Wednesday. Please come. Folks, you have a part to play in the success. I hope that you'll invite your friends and your neighbors, and I think that you'll be impressed with what they'll learn and certainly what our our people have, have prepared for them this week. We're going to begin this morning in the book of Matthew, and we're not going to stay there, but I'd like for you to actually turn there, and let me make this introduction. Jesus had a number of things to say about people's faith as he was here on this earth. 
Did you ever notice the times and the occasions in the Bible where Jesus praised somebody for their faith or rewarded somebody's faith or noticed the greatness of somebody's faith and the lack of somebody's faith? When you find different places that Jesus comments on somebody's faith, I think about Luke chapter 2, or sorry, Mark chapter 2, about when Jesus saw the faith of those who lowered their friend down through the ceiling tiles. It says that when Jesus saw their faith, it wasn't just the faith of the one who was on the pallet, and certainly that had to take a measure of trust and a measure of, uh, of certainty to know that his friends weren't going to drop him. But Jesus knew that it wasn't just that man to be lowered down, but it was the four that were on each corner lowering the man down so that he could get to Jesus. And it says when Jesus saw his, or their faith, he said, son, your sins are forgiven to you, of you. When you find Jesus commenting and saying, certainly I haven't found such a great faith in all of Israel. And speaking of a Gentile, a person who was a Roman soldier when he made that comment, it causes me to think, what would Jesus say about my faith? How would he comment based upon what he sees or what he doesn't see in my life and in your life? I find it fascinating that Jesus to the people that surrounded him on his daily basis when he was here on this earth. Jesus, to the people that should have known him most of all and should have trusted him most of all, you find Jesus having to rebuke and comment on them and their faithlessness. And in Matthew, Jesus notes this four times. Oh, you of little faith. Let me show you something about those this morning. If you've got your Bible, open up first to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going to begin. Matthew chapter 6. And notice this first. That Jesus in talking about what kingdom like is going to be like. What it's going to be like in the kingdom that's shortly to be established after his death, after his burial, after his resurrection, after the church is established in Acts chapter 2. He's giving them a preview here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We call it the Sermon on the Mount, but that's really what he's doing. This is what the kingdom of God is going to be like. And in talking about that, he talks about a steadfast trust in God. And looking at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 30, Jesus talks about the grass of the field and how people worry. And he says, here's this illustration of the grass. He says, if God so clothes the grass, which is today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? In this connection, in this instance, Jesus connects little faith with worry. He says, you're going to worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. Notice that he connects that to having a little faith, to be distracted, to be loaded with care or anxiety. That's what he connects having a little faith to is worry and care and anxiety. Look at the second instance with me, please. Flip over your, uh, in your Bible to the next section, Matthew chapter 8 and verse 26. Four times in the book of Matthew... Matthew 8 and verse 26, here's the disciples out on a boat and a, a tempest has arisen and Jesus is asleep in the boat and his disciples come and they wake him up and say, Lord, we're perishing, save us. Verse 26, but he says to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? It's not about worry at this point. That's a different word than what he uses here about being fearful. This is about being 
timid. This is about being dreadful. To have that sinking feeling in your stomach that everything is not okay and everything is not going to be okay. There's some kind of dread and this, 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 uh, this, this fearfulness that comes upon somebody. Jesus says, I connect that to being little of faith. A dread about what's coming. Notice the third instance that Jesus uses this in the book of Matthew, the Matthew records. Look over in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 31. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 31. This is another instance on a boat. This is another instance in the midst of a storm. And this is an instance where Peter has the faith to say, Lord, if it's really you that's walking on the water, command me to come out of the boat and to come to you. And Jesus says, come. And Peter begins to walk on the water, verse 29. And as he walks on the water to go where to Jesus is, he saw that the wind was boisterous. He was afraid and began to sink and cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? That's an entirely different word than the word for worry back in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 30. It's an entirely different word than what he mentions in Matthew chapter 8 verse 26 and talking about being fearful. This is talking about a wavering, a being shaken almost like you're on the waves. Peter literally was. Sometimes we can be on uncertain ground and we can look around and say, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can do it. That's the word Jesus uses here in connection to a little faith. The last one, by way of introduction, is two chapters over, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 8. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 8. Coming off the heels of Jesus feeding the 4,000, that was at the end of Matthew chapter 15, Jesus and his disciples, another boat incident, they get over to the other side and Jesus begins to look around and the disciples look around among themselves and they say, oh no, guess what? We forgot to bring bread. We don't have any food to eat. What are we going to do? And you can imagine that they begin to look at one another and say, well, whose job was it to clean up after the, uh, after the feeding of the 4,000? Was that your job, Peter? No, what my job? Because my job was to make sure that they, these things were taken care of. Well, whose job was it? And Jesus looks at them and he talks to them and they're reasoning because Jesus has just made some kind of cryptic statement about being aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they say, well, he's saying that because we forgot to bring bread. And Jesus says, verse 8, Oh, you of little faith, why did you reason amongst yourselves because you've not brought bread? In fact, what he says is, don't you realize I'm the one that was able to make just out of a boy's lunch? enough to feed 4,000 people, and you're really going to reason about yourself, about your own sufficiency for doing these things? This word reasoning, Jesus connects to little faith, to take inventory to, to bring together minds to reason, to reckon up all the reasons and to resolve in one's mind that this is the best course of action or this is the reason why something happens. And Jesus says that's a connection to little faith. What's interesting to me about each one of these things is not just the fact that Jesus uses this phrase, oh, you of little faith, but how Jesus forms it in the form of a question in each single scenario. All of these are questions. How is it that you're thinking that God's not going to take care of you? How is it that you're behaving then in a way that causes you to be timid or to be full of dread so that you're not going to act in a way that's going to glorify God? How is it that you're going to, to, be, to be 
full of doubt so much so that you're being tossed together by like the waves of the sea? How is it that you're so full of doubt that you can't set your mind on what's firm? How is it that your mind is so full of human reasoning about how things ought to be and how things ought to be attended to that you can't put your trust in God? And I find myself asking myself about these things, about what Jesus has just asked his disciples and thinking these are the exact ways that I fail. And notice how they're all connected. It is in our lives that sometimes taking these in reverse, sometimes I can be so full of human reasoning that I don't have any room for God. And when I'm full of that human reasoning, thinking, well, I've got to take care of this problem. This has got to be something that's my fault. I've got to make sure that I take care of this. Otherwise, I know it's not going to get done. And I start trying to put together all the pieces, and I try and do it apart to God. What it's going to do, it's going to produce doubt, wavering. Well, if it's all dependent upon me, then what do I need God for? In fact, really, what is God doing in my life? Why in the world do I go and attend worship when I could be taking care of this problem, which is in turn going to lead to a fearful dread? Because if I don't get this taken care of, I've got this sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach. Because I've got to take care of this. Which is in turn going to, in some cases, give me ulcers, but cause me to be exactly what Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 6, a person who is fully distracted and loaded with care. Does that sound like you? Does that sound like me? Folks, if we're honest with ourselves, it sounds like us a whole lot more than we'd like to admit. That we either have too much of ourselves in self-sufficiency that we don't have room for God. And when we think about that, we need to think about Jesus' question, why is it that you're thinking this way? Oh, you of little faith. I start with a question I started with. What would Jesus say about my faith and what would he say about your faith? What is going to distinguish you and me as people of faith from people who are without this morning? On my way to worship this morning, in fact, it started before I even left the house, I heard a weed eater going. And I thought, man, somebody's taking advantage of the dryness, whatever that is, okay? We, we haven't had it in so long, I've, I've forgotten what dryness is. But they've taken advantage of the, the rain letting up just, just often enough that they can go and they mow the, mow the, uh, the, the field down. It's, it's the grass that's knee high. And I'm thinking about this person who's out there with the weed eater at 7.30 this morning. And I'm thinking, what distinguishes me from them? What's the difference in my thinking and my reasoning from that person? That person that's across the street that's starting up his grill to make sure that he's got a nice, uh, he's got a nice brisket or a nice pork butt there for, for dinner that night. What distinguishes and what changes between me and my life as a Christian and this person who's not giving any regard or not even taught to God? That person that you passed on the bicycle on the way to, to, to services that's, that's walking his dog. What's different about you and about your faith and about your trust in God than that person who's there on the sidewalk? Folks, what God wants is for us to look at our faith and to make changes in our thinking and make changes in our reasoning so that we include God in our plan so that we don't have to have the rebuke of the Savior to say, oh, you of little faith, but he can look at you and say... Oh, you of great faith. You are shining among the faithless. As you leave out of here today, 
God wants you to have rekindled that lamp within you so that you can go out and you can shine the light of Christ. That's been our theme all 2021, so that you can shine and show your good works so that people can glorify your Father in heaven, Matthew 5, 16. What distinguishes you from others? Let me give you six practical things to think about with regard to developing a faith that will shine among the faithless. Number one, we need to be people who worship God alone. Worship God alone. Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4 both account or both give the account of Jesus being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. In one of those temptations, the devil takes Jesus up to an exceedingly high mountain. And he takes him and it's almost in beautiful panoramic. I think about a, uh, one of those, um, those mega screens, the IMAX And as the devil is showing him, don't you know it was in clear 8K? I know that's a new thing. It's bigger than 4K. I wonder if there's ever a time that our eyeballs are just going to pop out of our heads because we've got clearer and clearer images coming through our TVs. But here's the devil painting for Jesus the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. I wonder what he would show them in the American kingdom about what's glorious about us in this country. And as the devil paints this picture and gives Jesus in the moment of a time he says all of these will I give to you if you'll just fall down and worship me can you imagine people today saying I'll take that deal I'll take that deal and please understand that it wouldn't have been a temptation for Jesus if he didn't want it on some level There's not a temptation for somebody that that doesn't have any desire for what's being offered to them. There was something that Jesus desired to realize that all the good he could do and all the things he could could accomplish and all the, the charitable works that he could do for mankind. And Jesus, instead of taking that deal, says, away with you, Satan. For you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone shall you do service to. You want to know what makes us shine? It's the fact that we're committed to worshiping God on a regular basis, to getting together like we've done this morning and spend time in Bible study and looking at the word of God together and then letting that before our worship compel us to greater service and greater worship to the Lord. We look around at our world today And we see some of the things like what we talked about last week. We see difficulties and and we wonder what new policies and what new things our, our, our government, our corrupt system is going to come up with next. And what great evils are going to be perpetrated next and and how they're going to try and take away our liberties. And we look around and you know what? A lot of times I get that deep sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach. I get those things about how I can humanly reason and say, well, maybe it's, maybe it's uh, just electing a new, a new president or maybe it's getting, uh, getting those bums out of Congress or maybe it's getting these people in, in power and these, these, these people and moving these things around and I start trying to solve the problem by myself and you know what that leads me to? Throwing up my hands and saying, no, it's probably not going to change. And I find myself going back to that question that Jesus asked, why are you doubting, oh, you little faith? Why is it that you're committed so much to human reasoning that you're leaving God out of your plans? And folks, you know what the cure for that is? True, 
humble worship. You know why that's the solution? Because when we gather together like what we're doing this morning, it reminds us we have a hope that this world cannot take away. We have something that this world so desperately needs and they don't have it. And as we trust in God and as we hold on to that hope, it gives us an understanding that there is a brighter day for Christians, even if the darkest day of the American empire is still to be. What's happening when we get together and worship is that we say there is no way that this world is going to take away my hope. And I'm going to bow down and remember who is still on his throne. Who is still in control. I am committed to worshiping God and you should be too. A lot of people want to bow down and worship at the altar of sports. Games on Sundays, games on Wednesdays, games in the middle of the week, games doing these things. And as we go and we sit around and we watch these games, there ought to be something in our minds and our hearts that just says, this is just a game. I'm going to sacrifice time that I could be devoting to my heavenly creator, the one who's given me this hope that nobody can take away, and I'm going to sacrifice that for a game? I'm going to sacrifice that for sleep? I'm going to sacrifice that for, for something that, that's passing, that's transitory. Don't be surprised when you find things like human reasoning, like weakness, like worry, those things creeping back in your mind and your heart because we haven't given attention to the God of heaven and saying, him alone will I serve. Number two, we will be people who trust in God's providence. What's going to distinguish your faith from people who are without? What's going to really make you shine among the faithless? Is trusting in God's providence and not worrying. You remember that in Matthew 22 and verse 14, when Isaac and Abraham are ascending this mountain, as God showed Abraham and said, you're going to take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, you're going to take him and you're going to sacrifice him, Abraham. Are you ready to do this? Abraham gets up early the next morning, goes his three-day journey to Mount Moriah, the mountain that God showed him. And as they're going up the mountain, Abraham left his two servants behind. He'd taken the fire, he'd taken the wood, he'd taken his son, and his son asked a question. We've got the fire, we've got the wood, where is the sacrifice? You remember Abraham's answer? My son, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh, we sing that at camp, and it's first used here in Genesis 22, verse 14. God will provide. However, well before that, you realize that in the Garden of Eden, after mankind had sinned, after man had broken his relationship with God, that God looked at man and woman before he cast them out of the garden. One of the things God did was he provided for them because he saw that those fig leaves, those men, that man and that woman tried to cover themselves were not sufficient. So God provided animals, animal skins to cover man and woman. Why? Because he gave them what they needed. Cain and Abel, when God saw and respected Abel in his offering and rejected Cain in his offering, there in Genesis chapter 4, and Abel then rose up and killed his brother. And God pronounced the, uh, the punishment on Cain. Cain said, this is too much for me. God in his providence provided a mark for Cain to keep men from killing him. And you can track all the way through scripture, the way that God has provided for his people and the way that God has taken care of them, no matter what had come. You find through the book of Daniel, a survival manual for the Jews about how God through people, God through providence, how does it work 
I have no idea. But I know he does. And I know he cares about us. And I know he's concerned about you and about me and about our faith. And he invites us to greater trust and greater service in him. In fact, Paul writing from prison, from prison to Philippians about their joy. And Paul saying, I've learned in whatever state I am in to wherewith to be content. I can have this abiding peace and this abiding joy. God wouldn't have to, Jesus wouldn't have to say to Paul, Paul, why do you have so little faith? Because Paul said, I can be content whether I'm in prison or whether I'm dwelling in king's houses. And he says, you know what, Philippians? That very same care, that very same concern, I know my God is able to supply all your need according to the riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We have God's providence. We have God working for us. Romans chapter 8, if God be for us, who can be against us? How dare we let this world, how dare we let the talking heads on CNN or Fox or whatever your, your, your poison of choice is, how dare we let those people take away our hope and take away our faith? We can't let the people who have no hope take away our hope because we've got a God who's working for us, on behalf of us, for our good. We can trust in God's providence. Number three, what's going to make us different we're going to be people who are praying people, who pray always, as a first line of defense, not as a last resort, as a time that's proactive and not reactive. I understand there are times where you don't get into a heat of battle or you get into a situ certain situation, and I hope that you're thinking about God in those situations. Jesus tells us if, there's any, if his disciples are any indication, sometimes we trust too much in our own sufficiency in our own abilities Jesus says why are you doing that oh little faith in fact asking the question what do you want the Lord to do to you or do for you there is Jesus asked blind Bartimaeus in Luke chapter 18 Mark you look and you ask the question I don't know what the best thing to do is I don't know how to handle this on my own I don't want to try to handle this on my own Instead of the Lord being the first line of defense, sometimes he's a last resort. There's a confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 1 John chapter 4, chapter 5. What do you want the Lord to do for you? What he says to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, rejoice always, always. Paul, even if you're in prison, exactly. Rejoice always. What's going to enable that? Pray without ceasing. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Make sure that you're trusting in God the way that you ought to. Rely upon him, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. If we know the Lord is with us, if we know he's going to be with us, why are we not talking to him? Why are we not communicating with him? Jesus was asleep there in the boat. On one of those occasions that the disciples cried out to him. You know what Mark and Matthew record that they did before they ever tried to cry out to Jesus? They tried to solve the problem themselves. When they had the master of the land and the seas right there in the boat with them. Why is it that we think that we can do any better when we're rowing against the storms of this life? Oh, you have little faith. Number four, we're not going to fear to suffer for his sake. <clears throat> 
We're not going to fear to suffer for his sake. Anxious minds, anxious hearts, worry for or on account of suffering. I find when I worry, a lot of that worry has to do with the immediate nature or the coming of suffering. Think about it. I don't want to suffer. If I'm honest with myself, I just don't. I don't want to suffer because I don't like unpleasant situations. If I had my choice, everything would be even keel and I would be happy most all of my days and never really have to delve into suffering. And that's what we try and keep and that's the type of stasis that we try and hold on to. We don't want to suffer. But when I worry, what I'm worrying about is what the suffering is going to be like. Listen, I have to have this difficult conversation with a friend. What if that friend tells me I don't want to be friends anymore? What if that friend smears my name up one side and down the other? I'm suffering. I don't want to do that. What about when I have to do something unpleasant? Unpleasant, suffering, difficulty. I worry about those things. And instead of worrying about those things, I need to think about the fact that if I'm following my Lord, that's going to be a necessary consequence of following him. Jesus and saying, he that desires to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me, Luke 9, 23. As Jesus talks about the cross, it's an instrument of suffering, it's an instrument of pain, it's an instrument of torture, but as I pick that up and I follow after him, I'm not going to fear to suffer for his sake because I know that's where the path is going to lead if I'm following right. And what happens is, is that I short-circuit the growth process, the growth of my faith. I short-circuit the process whenever I try and avoid the suffering as much as possible when the path leads right through the middle of it. That's why James said, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You notice how many times the word for completeness and wholeness and perfectness and, and that kind of thing is used right here in just these two or three verses? You know what the result of that is or where that comes from? It comes from suffering. It comes from things that we wouldn't choose for ourselves if we had our choice. It comes from things that we fall into, things that happen along the way. And instead of trying to suffer through them and have joy in the suffering, we say no, no, no to the suffering. I do not want that. And we try and avoid it at all costs, and thus our faith never grows. What's amazing to me is that you can look around this auditorium and you can look at the people that perhaps have the desire to be here this morning but physically cannot. And you find people like that that have suffered and that have gone through the suffering, but they have let that suffering compel them to the joy of Christ. And when you go and visit with those people, or when you visit with them in the auditorium, I know that there are many of you here today who have gone through hard times, cancer, broken bones, hardships, difficulties, and you've let James chapter 1, verse 2 and following work in your life. Those are some of the most encouraging people to talk to. Those are some of the most encouraging people to get to know because when you talk to them, they have thankfulness on their lips. They have kindness on their lips. 
It's not about woe is me and how difficult is my life. It's about how great is our God and how great is our Savior, Jesus Christ. What distinguishes the way you suffer from the way other people suffer? Our suffering is accomplishing something through Jesus Christ. Number five, we're going to be people who love and serve mankind. Love and serve mankind. Selfishness, rude behavior, profanity, blasting people up one side and down the other. People don't expect for others to look out for them. You notice that? People you encounter, they're looking out for number one, as the old saying goes. They're trying to take care of their own needs and their own problems, and they are not thinking about somebody else looking out for them. Look at John chapter 13. Verses 34 and 35, Jesus said, our love is a badge of our discipleship. The sacrificial way we treat others and the sacrificial way we give to others and we compel others is a badge of our discipleship. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And you look and see what Jesus has done previously in the context and notice back up at verse 13. Jesus had just spent time washing their feet. And he says, you see how I've washed your feet? You know what I've done to you? This is something that you ought to do to one another. This is something you ought to do for one another. There is a connection Jesus makes between service, loving, humble service, and demonstrating a love that we have for one another. What people are not expecting, what distinguishes members of the church, the body of Christ, between them and the people that you're going to encounter outside is that we are devoted and we are dedicated to trusting in the Lord and in doing so, modeling his example and washing feet and loving others. May I give you just a practical couple of things that this congregation is involved with that you can continue to do. Don't grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Galatians chapter 6, 9 and 10. The compassion cards. The compassion cards. Folks, don't grow weary in doing good. I've been told that the number of folks that are showing up repeatedly to write compassion cards has been dwindling. Please don't let that happen. Reignite the fire, relight the fire, because let me tell you something. You may not see it, but I am having conversations almost weekly with people who are either calling the building or I'm hearing through people who have referred those people to say, I want you to let you know this person, they were overwhelmed by the amount of love and support. They were blown away by the fact that there were people that they had never met who wrote to them and said, I'm so sorry for your suffering, but I want you to know that I want you to know Jesus. We love you, we're praying for you. They have never seen that kind of outpouring and that kind of, that kind of love and devotion from anybody. Why not? Because it's uncommon. Because it's a mark of shining. And if we grow weary in doing that, folks, you're going to make our evangelistic contacts less. You have a part to play in shining and helping to write those compassion cards today at 5.30 and after services at 7. Stay What is this, group one, group two? I don't know, they'll announce it a little while. You find that there's an opportunity for you. And just because we haven't seen any converts doesn't mean it's not making a difference. 
For some of those people that have never attended church and they're receiving passion cards, imagine this conversation, husband and wife sitting there together and the wife says to the husband, husband, guess what? Little Johnny just said one of those four-letter words. And little Johnny, our, our son, has, has just said one of those things. I, I don't want him to grow up like that. And I don't want him to grow up thinking that that kind of language is okay. And, and husband says, well, what do you want to do about it? I think we need to start sending church somewhere. And they've never really considered and never really entertained going to church anywhere. And they think about this and they think about the morals and the, the upbringing of what they want to try and train Johnny to do. And so they decide, we're going to go to church somewhere. The question, where are we going to go? Graber Road has already provided an answer. Let's go to that place that blew us away with all those cards and that considered us so much so whenever I was going through my surgery or the difficult time that we were having. Shine among the faithless. Don't let your love and service grow cold just because you haven't seen immediate results. Pray for that, uh, pray for that program. Pray for an associate minister. I hope that you've been doing that on a personal basis. I hope that you've been doing that on a daily basis. Pray for our elders to have wisdom in evaluating the candidates for uh, the position that's, that's opened up here, the, the second preacher. Pray for them. Pray for the man and his family to come here and to make a big difference, to help us with this program and to help us with, with growing as God wants us to. Are you praying about it? Please do so. That is a way that we show our trust in God's providence. That's a way that we shine among the faithless. And that's a way that we're going to, 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 to cause this congregation to shine as a beacon the way that God wants us to. Love, serve, wash one another's feet. Last one. We're going to be people who are dedicated to the book. That we read, we study, we meditate on God's word. Sandy, I don't know where to begin. Begin in the book of Proverbs. Begin in the book of James. That's always my stock answer for people that want to start their Bible study and just don't know how. Today is July 11th. Read chapter 11 of Proverbs today. Today is Sunday. Start off with the book of James. Read the whole book of James. Won't take you but a couple of minutes, maybe 15 at the most. That is time well spent, but then tomorrow, Monday, just read chapter 1 of James. Monday the 12th, read chapter 12 of Proverbs. And as you do so, you know what you're doing? You're starting with practical books of wisdom from the Old Testament, practical books of wisdom from the New Testament, and you're going to become a wiser person. Note down and chart the things that you see and the ways that you see that, 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 that uh, the Proverbs or the book of James is, is think, speaking to things that you're dealing with in your life. I'm going to be devoted to knowing God, to shining my light. I think about what David said in gathering all the materials of the temple, he says, of your own we've given to you. And he says, we are aliens and we are pilgrims before you as our fathers were. On the days of the earth are like a shadow and without hope. Without God, they're without hope. First Chronicles 29, verse 14 to 15. What's going to equip us now for this life and the life that is to come? The psalmist said, I am a stranger on the earth. How in the world can I take heed? How can I cleanse my way? How can I conduct myself while I'm here on this temporary visa? By taking heed according to your word. What's going to preserve us and give us the abundant life that Jesus promises, John 10, verse 10? It's the word of God. 
I love how Carrie always, when he, it's his month to uh, introduce and uh, begin worship, reminds us that what we do, folks, part of what we do is daily Bible reading, daily Bible study. You can get involved in that. And if I spend all my time outside of the book and I start having things that come along that begin to shake my faith and shake my confidence in God, one of the quickest ways to restore that confidence is to go through and find the passages that exalt God and exalt His Son, Jesus Christ. And as I look at what exalts God, you know what my problems begin to do? They begin to shrink to their appropriate size in the face of an almighty God. God doesn't want to look at us and say, oh, you have little faith. God wants to talk about us in terms of our growing faith. That's why Peter said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 3, verse 18, because he says, it's possible, it's expected, you can do it. Folks, what's going to distinguish you from the people who don't have the hope that you have, who don't have the light that you have? Our job as lights to the nations is only going to be reflected by how much we know God, by how much we trust him, and by how much we're learning about him. I hope this lesson's been encouraging for you. If there's somebody here this morning that we can help to shine to a greater degree, Maybe there's somebody here because of the way that this world has treated them or the things that they've gone through in this world, they feel like their life and light has been snuffed out. You can be rekindled. Your light can be rekindled. God provides us that hope, and we'd love to be able to help you in that respect. Maybe there's somebody here who's never obeyed the gospel, never put their trust in Jesus, and has repented of their sins and then been baptized in the water. Lord stands ready to assist you, and we'll help you as well as we stand and sing our invitation song.